The Old Testament reading for this, the day of Pentecost, comes from the book of Numbers, the 11th chapter, beginning at the 24th verse. Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him, and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. This is the word of the Lord. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prosper. With the heart one believes and is justified. The second reading, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes from the Acts of the Apostles, the second chapter. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them, and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, 
the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel comes to us according to St. John, the seventh chapter. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And this is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Picture yourself as an early Christian in Jerusalem on this day. It's only been 50 days since Jesus Christ rose from the grave. He's appeared to many of his disciples, but 10 days ago he ascended into heaven. It's currently the Feast of Pentecost, a time when faithful Jews from all over the world travel to Jerusalem to give thanks to God for his law and all of his blessings. And so Jerusalem is packed with visitors. The entire Christian church in the massive city of Jerusalem is about 120 people total. So most of you are able to easily gather together under one roof to worship God and talk about Jesus, just as you do every day. And today starts out no different. That is, until the sound of a mighty rushing wind fills the entire house where you are gathered. Not a wind itself, just the sound. No destruction, no interior derecho damage. But the sound is loud enough that it draws the attention of the entire city. And a multitude of people gather together to figure out what in the world is happening. And you yourself at this point probably aren't sure. And that's when the tongues of fire appear over your head. Well, that's new. And as you and the rest of the Christians are talking about Jesus, as you do every day, people from all over the world are hearing you. Not just hearing you, understanding you, clearly, in their own languages. Languages that you have never studied, languages you have never spoken before. Everyone is hearing about Jesus Christ, the Messiah that God promised, and how he died and rose again to take away the sins of the world. Now some of the observers, they laugh and they mock, because there will always be those who do that. But many listen, and many believe, like many, many. Your small gathering of 120 Christians suddenly grows by about 3,000 people in one day. Do you think there were prayers of thanksgiving at that? Do you think there were songs of joy and laughter? Do you think they had an amazing potluck to celebrate? Now, this is not clearly recorded in the Bible, but I guarantee you that there was celebration and great joy among the church in Jerusalem that day. Because the Holy Spirit had made such a clear and bold and profound impact on so many people. Wouldn't that have been amazing to be a part of that? 
But alas, here we are in Iowa, almost 2,000 years later, where nothing is happening in the church. There are no miracles, no mass conversions, no great and mighty signs by the Holy Spirit, just divine service setting three yet again. I mean, when we read about Pentecost, we sometimes get a little jealous. We think, why can't something like that happen here? Why isn't the Holy Spirit still doing things like this? I mean, if we had all these miracles of Pentecost, well, then our church would really be something. We want the sound of a mighty rushing wind to fill the sanctuary and draw people in from all over Loudoun. We want to see tongues of fire on our heads to really impress people and prove God's power. We want to speak all sorts of languages to let everyone know that God is truly with us. And of course, we want to have 3,000 people join our church in one day so we can set up chairs in the fellowship hall again. And if the Holy Spirit would just give us something cool like Pentecost again, man, we could have all of that, and we would be a strong and healthy congregation again. I mean, the miraculous signs of Pentecost, they were amazing. And the end results of Pentecost, they were phenomenal. These are the kind of things that any church would like to have. And sadly, many churches today try to sort of fabricate their own kind of Pentecost. Not with the power of the Holy Spirit working when and where he will, but with man-made ideas and gimmicks. They use light shows and lasers and electric guitars and fog machines to make a spectacle and draw people in. They create this concert atmosphere to get everyone amped up so church feels like something special and vibrant and alive. They use all sorts of ballyhoo and razzmatazz and hullabaloo to get people hyped to draw people in, to show the world that the Holy Spirit is obviously present and really doing something because you can just feel it. And it can see, you can see the spectacle from miles away. But is that what really makes a church godly and active? Is it the excitement? Is it the size of the crowd? Is it the awesome production value? Is that what shows that the Holy Spirit is truly present in your church? Ask yourself this. What was the actual point of Pentecost that first day? What was the focus of that glorious day when God poured out the Holy Spirit upon his church? The apostles did not say to the crowd, Be sure to come back next week when we're joined by world-famous zither player Moishi of Alexandria. They didn't point everyone to the merch tables at the back and say, be sure to pick up one of our awesome t-shirts and mugs and baseball caps. They didn't tell the crowd that for a donation of just 100 denarii, they could enjoy a special VIP meet and greet with one of the apostles. What did the apostles do on the day of Pentecost? They clearly and boldly proclaimed the full word of God to people, just as we do today. Peter preached God's law, which convicted people of their sin, and God's gospel, which proclaims that Jesus alone takes that sin away. All the disciples spoke not about how great their church was, how great the building was, how great they were, 
but about how great God is. The sound of the wind, the tongues of fire, the multitude of languages, those weren't the point of Pentecost. They served only to draw people to the cross and empty tomb of Jesus Christ. This is what shows that the Holy Spirit is active. This is how you know if your congregation is healthy. Where the word of God is faithfully preached and heard, where God's holy sacraments are faithfully administered, there God is continuing the miraculous work of Pentecost. You know, oftentimes the gimmicks that churches think are going to make them vibrant and are going to bring everybody in, they might work briefly, but usually they just become a distraction. The church turns into this bad imitation of whatever the latest fad in our culture was a couple years ago. This is my beef with a lot of Christian pop music. Besides the usual bad theology in it, most of it is just kind of some anemic wannabe of a secular band that was popular five years ago. Hey, you like Taylor Swift? Why not try this version too? It's not unique or artistic. It's just trying to do this bait-and-switch tactic. Take a song, put Jesus in wherever they used to say baby, and hey, we'll call it a worship song now. But, you're going to hear, we have to do whatever it takes to get them in the door. Yeah, but once they're in the door, if you're only giving them what they get outside the door, why bother? And it's exhausting. Trying to keep up with the latest trends and crazes, trying to outdo yourself and all the other churches every week, it's tiring. So many churches dedicate most of their time to the gimmicks and the gadgets, and the Word of God kind of gets forgotten about. It's shoehorned in here and there maybe. Yeah, we'll mention Jesus, but pay attention to the lights. And so the the congregation itself is forgotten as well as their fad passes by. Someone once said, if you want to be relevant in every age, speak that which is eternal. And so we, the church, continually speak the full counsel of God's holy word. And it is indeed relevant in every age because it does not change with the fashions and the fads of our world. We speak against sin, even when our culture promotes it and loves it and takes pride in it. Not just the sin of the moment, or the latest fad in sin culture. We proclaim that all sin is wrong, destructive, and displeasing to God. We hold fast to the eternal word of God, even when the world says that it's outdated and useless. We don't have to get with the times, because the word of God is timeless. It is just as valid and certain and true in this age as it was throughout all of history and as it will be until the very end of the world. Even when the world doesn't want to hear it, as faithful Christians, we carry on the work begun by the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. We proclaim the word of the Lord. But that's not all that we do. It's not just about the law. While the law of God is good and wise, it cannot save us. The church is not just a place to get some how-to tips or to get guilted into acting like a better person. The law is important, and it is vital to our lives. But no matter how hard we try, we sinners simply cannot keep the law well enough. And so we need 
more. We need a solution. We need a Savior. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit gives us. Even as we speak God's eternal law to the world, we also tell everyone the timeless message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We unashamedly proclaim that God looked upon us in mercy while we were dead in our sin. That he took on human flesh and placed himself beneath his own perfect and unyielding law. We tell the world that Jesus Christ willingly took all of your guilt upon his own innocent shoulders and took all of your iniquity and sin to the cross. And there he sacrificed his own eternal life to purchase and redeem you from sin, death, and the devil to cleanse you of your sin, to clothe you in his own robe of righteousness and perfection. You, a sinner, who deserved only the eternal fires of hell, you became God's beloved child, and you were given the guarantee of everlasting life because your wretched, sin-filled life had been washed by the blood of God himself. And just as we tell the world about the crucifixion of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, we also joyfully tell the world that he has risen from the grave and given each of us the gift of everlasting life. Death is no longer the enemy to be feared forever because Jesus Christ has defeated even death itself. All those who look to him in faith, all those who believe in his eternal words, we are given full and constant pardon and peace by the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. This is the message of the church, and this is the continuing work of the Holy Spirit that we see beginning at Pentecost. We bring the word of God, the forgiveness of sins, and the holy sacraments of God to our community. It may not be flashy. It may not get headlines. It may not lead to 3,000 new members in one day. But this is the work of the church, the work of the Holy Spirit being done through us. And by that work, not by the glitz and the glamour and the gaudiness of gimmicks, souls are brought to the kingdom of God and nurtured in his eternal grace. Through our liturgy, as old-fashioned as it may seem, through the clear proclamation of God's word, as ordinary as it may seem, through our hymns, as mundane as they may seem, the church clearly proclaims God's word here and throughout the entire world continuing the work of the Holy Spirit from Pentecost. Here, in the weekly divine service, which we may be led to believe is boring, here God works miracles, just like he did with the early church. Here the Holy Spirit fills us with his eternal word and empowers us to go out into the world and share that word with others. Here, poor miserable sinners who deserve only eternal death are instead given the glorious gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as we are continually reassured that by his cross alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.